Hi, this is Kendra Russell Delacruz with Coaching Beyond the Fences, Season 1, Episode 3 of our podcast, and I have Melanie Williams and Demita Price with me. Yay! Hello! Hello! Hey, so today uh, what we want to get into is we want to do a little interview on Demita and just her adventure through life and how that's been for her. And uh, so, Demita, you want to tell me a little bit about yourself? Yes, my name is Demita and I am a really, really hard worker. I love life um sharing with people hoping to touch someone's heart or guide someone who may or may not know you know what they're looking for in life or what direction they go overall I'm just a people person awesome well I know you've always been an inspiration to me Melanie thank you what uh question do you have um well, I, uh, Kendra, why don't you, um, you said that she's always been an inspiration to you. So why don't you, uh, tell us a little bit about when you met Demita? Uh, okay. Well, I met, I met Demita or what a lot, most people know her or where I met her <laughs> in Mabel Bassett as Bunny. And I met her probably, uh, 2011, but we really didn't talk much in the beginning. Uh, she kind of sticks to herself and I kind of stick to myself in prison. You can know a lot of people, but that doesn't mean that you really know them or they're, they're more of your associates. So then I guess we kind of observed each other over time and then just started, uh, building a communication and a relationship and, uh, I always uh, just admired the way she can handle herself and carried herself throughout the day. And she had a spirit that she just was never broken, no matter what she was facing or the obstacles were of the day. And I always seen her uh, given to people. I'd spent, uh, I spent a big portion of my, uh, not a big portion, I guess a couple years or a year working in the mental health unit. <clears throat> and I seen uh, Demita, she always, made sure to donate to the functions we had going for them, you know, things that they would get to do uh, like bingo or, or just Christmas parties, Halloween parties, things like that to try to make it, uh, you know, less of a hostile environment. She was always, uh, you know, um, keeping the violence down. You could say I, I've seen her intervene in a lot of the bullying uh, I hear now that's going on. Uh, I know that she kept that down to a minimum. And uh, so that was that I just I, it was always inspiration. So to be here on this side of the fence with her is a miracle to, in, to me. And uh, that's just I didn't it was a miracle the day I seen it happen. <laughs> and that's what I, that's the way I that's the way I feel about it. And, you know, uh, I knew that people say. I hear this question a lot. Did you know you would talk to this person or that on the outside? And whenever I think of uh, Demita Price, I can tell you absolutely. 
So that's a good segue, I think, into what's the miracle, Demita? Well, <clears throat> the miracle is I was incarcerated for a drug trafficking offense where I received a life without parole sentence. Um, what we call life without parole sentence in prison is called a baby death sentence. The reason for that is because you're not able to go up for parole. You will never see the parole board. Um, most of your appeal processes have been terminated or you will never get the opportunity to try to fight for your life. And with the death penalty, you know, maybe a lot of people don't know, uh, people stay on death row for years and years because of their appeal processes. And um, we don't have that option with life without parole. You just sitting there. Um, another thing is like with life, you have the opportunity to speak to the parole board, to get their sentence possibly you know, uh, reduced as well as the death row. I mean, we've just seen that with Julius Jones. He's on death row and he sat there and they finally commuted his sentence to life without parole. But I'm saying when you're dealing with life without parole, that's what it is, exactly what it says. So a life sentence is usually, they say about 45 years, but um, just imagine that on life without parole, that means you know, you'll be just sitting in prison for 45 years. Most people die on life without parole. So that's in itself is what makes it a miracle because, you know, people then ask, well, how did you do it? Who helped you? What? And, and, and all I can really say is, like Kendra's just stated, I mean, it is really a miracle. Know that you know, I know a lot of people, you know, may not share the religion that I do, but I am a devout Christian. I believe in God and I prayed a lot. Was it easy? Of course not. Was it days where, you know, I thought that my prayers wouldn't be answered, of course. But um just one day, it, I mean the whole thing is a miracle. So I, I'm gonna go through the process of what was going on. So I'm like writing the governor every week i'm writing president obama every week i'm writing governor fallon governor all the governors prior to her keaton everybody i have numerous letters from oklahoma park parole board and the governors as well as the ag's attorney generals to state that you are you have been convicted of life without parole uh we will not hear you. We have nothing for you. You have to read the laws concerning Oklahoma, and I would get them. Just keep writing, and I never stop writing because I just it was something in me. <clears throat> I guess just my faith in God that I just could not believe that I would be, I would die in prison. I just not could not believe that, you know, that was the end of my life. So I kept writing and writing. So mind you, I've been locked up for 21 years, 21 years straight. Never out. But one day I wrote, oh, they were talking about do a commutation, do a commutation. But I had tried to do the commutation too, and they said no. So I went to my room. <clears throat> I got my commutation papers. 
And I never forget this day. I got on my knees and I prayed to God. And I said, God, I'm about ready to give up on this because I keep trying and trying and trying. And I said, and I just don't see it. And that day he told me, he said, fill those papers out and you will see who God is. And I said, okay. So I filled the papers out and I still kept writing President Obama because I started seeing like President Obama was letting out people out of prison with drug trafficking cases that had life without parole. And I mean, and he finally responded back too, but I'll go ahead more on the pardon and parole in, in Oklahoma. So I wrote and um, I hadn't heard anything for almost seven months. And one day a lady came to me and she was like, have you asked your case uh, manager, you know, if you, if your name is on the commutation docket? And I had never thought about nothing like that. I was like, no, well, let me go and ask her. So I go in there and ask her. And she pulls this docket up and she said, wow, you are on the commutation docket. I said, I am? She was like, yeah, you are. And you're the first drug trafficker on this commutation docket. I was like, you're a kid. So when she showed it to me, I looked, I was like, what? So I was <laughs> right just, on. Yeah, I was just like in shock. I just could not believe it. So then, you know, hearing the negativity oh yeah they put you up there but they deny everybody they deny everybody and I don't know I could not agree with what they were saying I just listened to them smiled and went on because I had a different faith in my heart I knew what God told me to do when I filled those papers out and I knew you know what I'm saying I just had to stay faithful and not listen to what anyone else had to say so the docket goes up, which is the following month. It goes up and goes up. My case manager calls me. She's like, hey. She said, I want you to see something. And I said, okay. She said, on this docket, you are the only life without parole drug trafficker that made commutation. I said, what? She said, matter of fact, you are the only one on the docket that made it. She said, look at this. And so when you look at I, I made her give me a copy of it because I could not believe it. And on this copy of it, it was people that had five years, 10 years. They had way less time than what I had. And I was the only one to make it. Can you believe that? I'm saying, just listen, that is such a, a miracle in itself. How does that happen? So you know it ain't people. It's something else. So then I was like ecstatic, but I couldn't really tell nobody then. And the reason I couldn't, one time, once you're incarcerated, people get jealous of it. They literally, I mean, like literally, will find a reason to make sure you don't make it. I mean, like they're going to come up and hit you or punch you or try to fight you or try to intimidate you. They're going to try to lie on you. I had people lying on me, like literally. I mean, as I'm, I'm gonna tell you the story. So I said I'm not gonna tell nobody, but I told my roommate and a couple of people that I was close to that I felt I could trust to keep it to themselves until I actually went up. So 
when I go up for commutation, not for parole, I'm going up for commutation. So the process of commutation, you have to uh, do what I did first, uh, enter, I mean, submit the application, let the parole board decide to uh, allow you to receive it. Then the next process is you go before the parole board and you speak your piece and then they will decide whether to commute the sentence and send it on to the governor. So on my process, so I'm going, everybody like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going up for parole on the day. Now watch how, what this, this, I want you to watch how the devil works. So they had got like maybe about 10 packages over the fence. I'm sitting at a table waiting to go waiting for commutation. I went up there early because I was just so excited. I was like, if they, if they don't call my name, I'm, you know, I'm saying, be ready to go to lock. I know they told me to come up here. <laughs> so, I'm sitting at the table by myself, just, just praying. My unit manager, Ola Anna Joby, comes up to me. Now, mind you, I just said they got 10 packages over the fence about four o'clock that morning. Huh? The middle price? I said, what? You had them packages throwing over the fence? So he's African. So you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to like him. And I'm like, what are, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's on the yard. I won't put whose name out there or the names that went to the yeah. six o'clock in the morning and said that those were my packages. But they did it. And he gave me their names. He said, such and such and such and such is in the chief's office right now. We in briefing. And they said, them 10 packages don't took the meter price. Now, I'm telling you, tell me the truth right now, because the warden said they fist to pull your commutation. If I tell you, I said, let me tell you just like this. If you think I'm mess up my commutation by having some packages thrown over the fence on the day that I'm going up for commutation. Something wrong with all of y'all. And if you don't take my word for it, that's just going to be your loss. And if the warden pulls my commutation, that's something she got to take up with God. Because I know for a fact that the people that told you that well, I'm going back right now to briefing and I'm going to tell them it wasn't you. And you better not make me look like a liar. I said, okay. So he goes back, and boy, when I when I when he didn't see what people didn't know, you you can find out who say anything about you. You can find out whoever write a request to stuff on you, and so a lot of that is based on jealousy and just you know that it's just like crabs in a bucket, and that's the absolute truth. They don't want to see the next person get out if they can't get out. So anyway. He comes back and then he brings this and that's, back. And, and just a uh, that's just um what what we call prison politics. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> prison politics, honey. And that's the truth. Yes. So, so what happened was I actually so he came back and he just glared at me and I'm like, whatever. So here comes the chief with her husband and everybody looking at me like she lying. She lying, but I just closed my eyes. I dropped my head on the table and I just kept praying to God because I was like, they're not going to deter me from where 
I know I need to be. So then I rose up. God said, look over the fence. So you, it got a little window back there. And so they had the door cracked open because, you know, it started to get a lot of people in there. And then they was having class, which they have class. We had the, in the visiting room, they had a little class up there. So I kind of stepped out on the little back porch right there. And I just kept looking over the fence. And I said, as far as I can see, that's where I'm going to be. And so when it was time for them, they started setting up the TV and stuff. And I just became stronger and stronger in my body because I was like, the devil is trying to stop me, but he can't take what God gave me. God gave me this. You know what I'm saying? So when they called for me, I went in there. I didn't know what to say. I got crazy Olana Jovi next to me talking in African. They can't understand him. Then I got all <laughs> these other people. And they all like, and he's steadily talking and they looking like, what's so funny? The man was like, ma'am, can you talk for yourself? And I'm like, I sure can. And uh, so, you know, they, it was so weird. Like my sister and my nephew were sitting in there and then, you know, they tell you to identify those people. Do you know them? You have a home offer where you have a job, you know, different stuff like that. So when they got down to the nitty gritty, I just knew that they was supposed to grill me. And they said, you know what? We're going to tell you just like this. We're not going to ask you no questions except for one. And when you explain that to us, that's going to determine you getting your sentence commuted. I said, okay. They said one question. How have you done prison for 20 years with no misconducts and never been a lot? And I said, well, I ain't going to lie to you. I just didn't get caught. And they said, that's all we want to know. And who's for her? Everybody voted yes. All five hands. You know what I'm saying? So they gave me life. They commuted the sentence to life. But you know what? I, I When I got back, you know, everybody is, what happened? What happened? I'm kind of keeping it to myself. But like I said, my close people, I'm kind of telling them, you know what I'm saying? But here come Ola. She made commutation. Yeah, she's <laughs> Anybody mess with her, I'm sending you to jail. Don't mess with her. Well, why did he say that? Because every after, let me tell you something. I had more fights in that 30 days than I had a whole year in prison. And I mean, <laughs> fights. Uh, Kendra, tell you, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. <laughs> and so, uh, but I still didn't get caught. I was like, they ain't going to I was going to have a fight. And they were talking so much noise. I walked to their Girl, I have to tell you that story. I walked to the pod and called out about three of them. Now, who want to fight me first? Because here I am. The, it was count time. I was at, at a job. I came to count time, pushed the slider open on a unit I don't even live in to fight. And I done made commutation. Okay. But <laughs> anyway, so uh, that and then so. So it sounds like there's a lot of high stress around getting out, making commutation. Well, I'm not even done because when they gave me that, that 
I, I just thought I was going to be doing life. See that's, see, that's the part nobody knows about. They didn't give me com, they didn't give me commutation to come out on the street. That was just right. for a life sentence. So, I, and I was happy with that. Now, you know it's bad if you happy from life without parole to life. That I was happy. I was like, whoa, at least I go up for parole in about 10 years. You know what I'm saying? But I'm going to tell you the miracle. Hold on, then I'm, I'm going to let y'all go. This is the this is going to set it off. So I was just happy about life. <laughs> and I'm happy the whole 30 days. I'm happy. So Miss Gomez, she comes to her office. No, wait. She yeah, she called me into her office and she said, Hey, uh, they signed your parole certificate. I said, Yeah, I got life. I really said that. Now how crazy is it? So uh I heard uh she said, but uh, you go parole in May. I said, I know. I, it was just May. I know I, I went up for parole in May. She said, no, on the 19th. I said, no, I went on the 18th. She said, no. You're not listening. You going back up parole. I said, huh? 30 days later. You go up tomorrow. I go up tomorrow. That's what she told me. I said, well, I thought I just had a life sentence. She said, you, I, so I got and I, well, I know they ain't finna take my life, is they? They not finna take this life, is they? I start thinking, who did I hit? What do did the officer write me up? I'm like, she was like, I don't know what's going on. I ain't never seen nothing like this before. You just went up and man, you going back up in June. I'm like, what? No, no, so you know what I'm saying? That's how I'm talking. Now something is wrong. She said, "No, ma'am, you going back up?" So I go back up. I'm ready again. Watch what happens. And if God is my witness, Olana Joby, the, the motherfuckers came. I said, "Ola, they was full of weed, marijuana. Can you believe that? Every time I would, and then." me the, the the new people that said it. I said they are lying. When I get out of here, I'm beating them up. He said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm beat them up. But I went up for parole. They are messing with you. He said, yeah, he, so he said, listen, so I went up for parole. Watch this. They said, we giving you time, sir. We ain't never did this before. They said, but we giving you Sir, and uh, you got to do a step down, but in uh, three months you'll be home. No, one 120 days. I said, What? I was in shock. I said, I'm what? I'm going home. They said, Yeah, they said, Uh, Miss Donna Joby, how fast can you get her packet done? She need to do a step down to go to Oklahoma Triple C. Everybody, we was all in shock. I was like, What? You hear me? Now that's a miracle that. from God. That's a miracle from the Lord. And I'm telling you, I am a living witness. And to cap it all off, I'm going to tell you what happened. Out of all my writing, everybody did respond back. But one person never responded back. And I, uh, this this one time, I just kept talking noise. I was like, it ain't right. You letting out all these people. You ain't letting us out. You're the president of the United States. How you not letting us out? You should be able to tell them to let us out too. 
<laughs> President Obama wrote me back, baby. He wrote me back in a green letter. I still got that letter. I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it up because it's gonna be very valuable. That man wrote me back. You understand what I'm saying? Now you know that was a miracle. But anyway, okay, I'm done. She says President Obama wrote her back. Yeah. I still got the letter. So God gave you the strength, and you stepped down, and now you're here free. And free as a bird. Free as a bird. <laughs> and so uh since it's coming around the holidays, uh Melanie, she w- wanted to know what were the holidays like in there and how did you get through them? The holidays for me in there were I, I I'm conflicted. What I mean by that is I found people to call my family in there. On right. top of already my family. But I didn't have my child, my son, so it would be sad, but new family would make me happy. So I was always, you know, back and forth with that. Um, because you do I don't want to say it. they not your blood, but you eventually just grow into people being your family, whether you like it or not. And uh, I hated the fact that I felt like that, if that makes any sense. I could not understand yeah. how to feel two feelings at one time and right. then yeah. be okay with where I was as far as who I was. Thanksgiving with now this Thanksgiving is going to be tough and hard for me since I've been out because this would be the first one I just lost my mom to COVID so this would be the first Thanksgiving without my mother and uh, so I'm yet again conflicted I mean if that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. sounds like stages of it yeah in the holidays i also yeah. see um i see a almost uh similarity that life happens in there and life happens out here and so really it's it's uh you're experiencing life like all together almost right. does that make sense yeah, yeah. that makes a lot of sense it does make a lot of sense because it still goes on even when you're in there and it goes on for them out here and and us in there when we're in there uh yeah you know we create uh like she said our family our friends that we eat dinner with you know and things like that and share presents with and i'm telling uh, you what i can i can cook up a thanksgiving dinner like you would not believe out of the microwave Hey, hey, I know hey, that's hey, right. You better ask Kendra. Kendra, no, I can. I get down. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. We used to eat breakfast yeah. every day, <laughs> or or dinner. It was we either share breakfast or dinner whenever it yeah. came time for that last bit. Whenever you was leaving, because you're like, I'm really leaving, Kenny. And I was like, oh, you're like, I oh, it's all right. I'll I'll be right there when you get there. So, yeah. what was your most valuable lesson learned? 
the most valuable lesson learned in prison? All around the whole situation. Um, um that's a that's a hard question. What what did I learn? Um that I know that I don't want to commit any more crimes to take me back to prison. I know that for a fact. I think I that by the experience of being away from home, being away from my family, realized that, you know, we we really do take life for granted. We do believe that nothing will happen to us. And, you know, I learned that anything can happen to me. Regardless of who I am or who I think I want to be, anything can happen and anything will happen. And you just have to be prepared for it. Like, what I mean by that is don't go through life thinking it can't happen to you. Mm. That's what I mean the most. Yeah. That's really good. Cherish it. Cherish life. And uh, what message would you like give to the younger generation, the ones out there just doing their thing, selling drugs and, you know, because it's a lot different now. Well, it's really not a lot different. I mean, if you really go back through life, there's always been a drug era. There's always been a rebellious era. There's always been, you know, people that just think that they know everything about life. They don't. So with that, even with the people that you consider a younger generation, and the reason why I say that, like, you know, my daughter is in her 20s, and this is the absolute truth. And when I look at her and I hear her, I see myself. You see what I'm saying? That's why yeah. I know that it's just a revolving circle. So she she dresses exactly like I used to at her age. She acts exactly like I used to at her age. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So what I would tell children is, you know it's the truth? Yeah, I'm sure if you got kids, you know what I'm talking about. They were the same thing you did. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So you can't ever get to a generation they think that they they doing it fresh, but they're not. <laughs> Even the way they dress, you know, like I'm just I'm gonna take it just off subject just for a minute. Like when you look at TV, when these people with gold in their mouth and jewelry, how long they been doing that? Forever. <laughs> I mean, forever. So you ain't doing nothing new. Sagging ain't new. Sagging been around since slavery. Okay. <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, you really got to think about it but what I yeah. would say to them is like what I tell my daughter because I'm going to tell you this valuable lesson I learned from my one child I said I always fuss at her don't do this don't do that don't do that so one day she said to me she said mama let me tell you something she said the more you tell me not to do it I do it And I said, why is that? She said, because I'm rebelling against you. I don't want to do what you tell me to do, so I'm going to do the opposite. And I had to think. I mean, that was a whole blood. I ain't never heard nobody say it like that. So I'm like, you know what? I stopped saying anything to her about it. I stopped fussing. And I just let her. And the more I stopped fussing, she would do it my way. Because she wouldn't know what my way was because I wouldn't tell her. 
So in that with these children, pretty much you have to go down to their level and you have to talk to them because most people have so much trauma until that's what they're doing. Like if they've been molested, think about it. If they've been molested and you tell them not to have sex and then they mind, they like, I already been molested. Where when that was going on. So I'm going to keep doing that. I mean, they go opposite. So if you tell them, hey, be good. But they turn around and hear you cussing at your friends, cussing at the people in your family. What's the example of being good? What is the example of being good? Do anybody really know? No. We don't know what it is. But children watch our behaviors and our children are us. Ready. So you have to think, how am I going to argue with myself? What would I do? You know what I'm saying? And you just yeah. kind of have to let them find their own person to interact with. I mean, a, a positive role model, because no child of yours is going to listen to what you got to say. <laughs> you think they listening, but they, they always find a friend or somebody that has happened to or whatever they're going through that's similar to their lives. And that's who they pretty much, you know, examples from. But I would tell a child today, be your best you. I don't know what you what that is. You do. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to tell you what road to go down. I'm just going to tell you. Be your best you. If you see your friend over there playing basketball, you want to play basketball, well, then you do whatever it takes to play basketball. Like, that means get grades. That means listen to your parent because your parent got to pay for your shoes and your outfit and your uniform. So be, you know what I'm saying? Think what's going to take you to that. That's just what I think. That's how I tell my daughter and and guess what? My daughter talks more to me now because I don't say nothing. And when she's talking, I just listen. I don't offer my opinion. I don't. When I offer my opinion, it's violence involved. So I just might as well shut up. <laughs> that's how. I, she, I'm going to calm down. <laughs> so that's how I stop reacting. <laughs> I just say, and then. I come to my own house and react without her presence. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So now you're an overcomer and you're a miracle. I've seen it firsthand and they've heard it. So uh, what's your mission now uh, that you're free from prison? Well, it's kind of I mean, I, I might be a little crazy on, you know, what mine is. The thing is, I want to be a, a great parent. Not a good parent, a great parent. And what I mean by that, I've already been gone 20 years out of my children's lives. So it's kind of hard to go back to them being little kids and you do this and you do that. I can't do that. So I just kind of, but I'm not your friend either. And I let them know that I'm not your friend. I'm your mama. You don't like how I tell you what to do. Then I don't care. This is my job. So um, I want to be an awesome grandmother, which I am. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because I can teach my kids anymore, but I can't teach my grandchildren. 
You know what I'm saying? So what my children get, which they be je- my children are jealous of their own kids because of how I treat <laughs> them. And you know that's crazy. But I give to those kids like, I'm going to give you an example. When I see my daughter, get, I got a hug her, mama don't kiss me. Okay. My grandbaby. I'm, this is me walking. I tell grandma, you didn't give me a kiss. You see the difference? So who am I for the most? Tell me. <laughs> right. Right. So that's what I want to I'm a great example to my granddaughter. I'm going to give you another example. Like, I work and I work uh, I work 12 to 15 hours a day. Some days, five, seven days a week. It just depends because I, in my mind, I feel like I'm catching up, but I gave myself a five-year window, which is, this is just the third year, which is awesome. So uh, I got two more years to, you know, kind of get it right. And, uh, but I know that I have to work to make the legal money because yes, I was selling drugs and I became a millionaire selling drugs, but the money I wasn't doing it for my benefit in this kind of you know catch all because I know it sounds crazy but my son was um diagnosed with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy he was removed from uh our insurance which is Blue Cross and Blue, Blue Shield which left me in a space where I could not provide uh for his very expensive medical bills but I was in a state of denial as a young parent. And I felt like I had no options. I had nobody helping me. I did work at Bryan Industries, but that wasn't enough money to cover his medical bills on top of having three children. And uh, for that, I branched out to, you know, some people, which I ain't gonna go into no words, but, um, and I got, I didn't get introduced to the drug game. I introduced myself to it because I felt like I had no other option in order to take care of my son properly in my mind. Because, you know, when you're going through a state of denial, and what I mean by that, I was like, no, my son ain't got that. Yeah, y'all going to tell me something else. I started taking him to Irvis and anything that I could find. You know, oh, that's a lie. He got uh, this and he got that. You know what I'm saying? But... Oh, he really had Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. And what what Duchenne's muscular dystrophy is, is women have two X chromosomes. If something is wrong, you can fall back on one. But men only have one. So if there's something wrong with one, then they don't have nothing to fall back on. And what uh, the X chromosome does is it is what gives our, it helps your muscles grow on top of giving it dystrophin, which is like a, a food to keep your muscles growing and to stay strong without that X chromosome, the muscle will grow, but it will die because it don't have that food. So I'm, I just kind of put it in lamest terms. Once I found out what my son had, I know Duchenne's muscular dystrophy upside down and another. I didn't read every book, every literature about it, but it took me going to prison to do that. But prior to prison, I just wanted the doctors to fix it. So I, I I began selling kilos of cocaine. I became the biggest millionaire that you would ever think of. But once my son passed while I was incarcerated, I didn't care no more about the money. I didn't care. But I took care of my kids for 20 years. 
from prison. But it wasn't about money. What I did wasn't about money because I already had money. My family was already middle class. Uh, you know what I'm saying? My mama always made sure we had everything. I didn't go. I was spoiled, but it wasn't about money for me. It was about money for his medical bills. So now since I'm out, I don't care about money other than to pay my court costs, fines, and fees. Anything to do with that so that I don't go back to prison and getting gas in my car to go to work. I mean, uh-huh. I, and I, it sounds crazy, but I kind of like reverted back because I think the money is it's, it's just connected to my son, so it's just something traumatic for me. That makes right. sense. Yeah. I see a really shift in uh, value there. Values. Right. And I see a, a great parent and an awesome grandma. And and I see a lot of lessons learned throughout your life and your giving and, you know, not taking it for granted. And I'm just uh, honored to be here with you. Well, thank you. Yes. Thank you for coming on and, and uh, sharing with us oh, and, no and with everyone listening. Yeah. And uh so everyone knows we do uh, this podcast and we do coaching inside of uh, Mabel Bassett Correctional Facility for the women that are still there in the prison. And on Thursday nights, we meet up on Zoom and we do coaching uh, for those coming out of prison or affected by prison. And what I mean by affected is uh, a lot of times when people are doing time, uh, they don't realize that their family or their support system like Bunny was talking about, the family that's not necessarily blood, they're doing time with them. So a lot of times, sometimes we need a coach or someone to talk to or bounce ideas off of uh, when we're supporting those incarcerations. So we also have um, coaches uh, that um, come on that have. Uh, never even been affected by incarceration and it's like bridging the gap between being in and out and also people so yeah yeah it's uh opening it's opening the way and opening the light to the way of the world and i appreciate it thank you guys Oh, you're welcome, Thank you. Lady. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Have see a you next time. All right. See y'all next time. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.